Good morning, family. Merry Christmas. Wow, first time I said that this year. <laughs> How's everybody doing this morning? Did everyone have a good Thanksgiving? Mostly? Was it more quiet this year or was it more loud and full? Peaceful? Just right? Oh, that's a good answer. Oh, Elsie, everything's always just right with you. You have such a good attitude about everything. Can you stop being such a good example? Sheesh. <laughs> All right, let me see here. Okay, there we go. Today is our first uh, day of Advent. We're going to take a few minutes to um, kind of explore and consider uh, the hope that we have in Jesus. And as I was considering it, really, like, every time that we come to this season, like this month, for, for so many people, it's, it's very special, um, it's very sentimental, there's good memories, there's good things that we anticipate coming around together with family. Um, and still for others, um, and we come time to this, this time of year, um, it really is more struggles, and there's some, some hardships there's difficult memories that are attached to that. So it's, it's, not always, it's not always these pleasant memories. And yet, whatever it is to you, in this place, there is hope. And really, it's not even really just a season of hope, because as believers in Jesus Christ, hope is now our way of life. Hope is this thing that causes us to, to look forward beyond the here and the now, but anticipating what lies ahead. Hope really is something that, like, in itself, it just insinuates something that you don't yet have, but it's down the road. It's on the way. It's coming. Hope requires a vision beyond the present into the unforeseen. And so when our hope is in Jesus, we know that our hope is grounded in something that is sure. Because when he speaks, it is as good as done. It's just a matter of timing. When is it going to play out? How is it going to play out? So this morning, I want to take a look into the book of Matthew, chapter 1. We're going to look in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, and we're going to read a few verses there that I think is not quite the typical place of where we would look into the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1. A lot of times we look to the book of Luke and all the interactions there and the uh, encounters with the angels there with Mary. This is a little bit different. And it says this. Starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, 
because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when, G- when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not con- consummate their marriage until she gave birth to his son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you have a plan. You are working out your purpose, and you are accomplishing everything that you have set out to do from really the beginning of time. And we as your people, we are deciding to trust in your plan. We know that your ways are higher than our ways. And so even as we look ahead in hope, you carry us through sometimes that we did not anticipate, we didn't expect, we would rather not go through, but yet we look ahead. We will not be downcast. We will not look down at our feet and be discouraged. We will continue to look forward knowing that you are a good and loving God who has only our good, our fullness in mind. So we trust you this morning. May our hearts, God, be impacted by your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I was considering um, the hope that we have in Jesus, I was reminded of, just think, I, I just had this picture of when you're baking something in the oven, either a pie or like fresh bread in the oven, and you walk into the kitchen, it just, the wafts of like the aroma just kind of hits you. And you smell it, and it's just, it just it draws you in. It's so delicious. It's so, it, it pulls you into itself. And when I consider the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, I feel like it's something that is all around us, especially like even this morning, as we're worshiping the Lord and, and, and considering like his presence among us this morning, I almost felt like his hope was like the aroma in this place. And every breath that we take, it's like we're breathing this in. And this is my hope for each and every one of us. As we breathe, every moment that we live, we're taking in the hope that is found in Jesus Christ and is drawing us into the next breath. It's drawing us into the next moment. And so now we're growing deeper with each moment, with every breath. We're being drawn deeper into his presence and the fullness that is found in that place. In John 10, 10, Jesus is talking about his people. And in in reference to his people, he talks about his very purpose. The whole reason that he came, he says, he declares it in John 10.10. And what he said there is this, that he came, that we might have, you might, do you know it? That we might have life, but, but not just life, life to the fullness in abundance This is the whole reason that he came. If he didn't want us to have that, he wouldn't have have come. The fact that he did come, the fact that he did give all of himself, was all tied into the fact that he wants you to experience his fullness. And not the fullness that we will receive 10 years from now, or 20 years from now, not, not fullness that we will receive when our life here ends and then we go to heaven for all eternity, but fullness that begins 
today. It's not something that we have to wait for. It's something that we have accessible to us in the here and in the now if we just accept it. We don't have to reach, reach and grasp it, strive for it, fight for it, but just let, uh, let it embrace us. The fullness of God is here for us. He changed the world with his entire life, with his birth, with his life, with his miracles, with his death and resurrection. He changed the world, yet so many people, well-meaning people, even believers, Christians ourselves, we miss out on the fullness that we have access to simply because we don't let ourselves be caught up in it and embraced by it. Oftentimes we live without that very thing that he came to give us. And so we look at him, we see from a distance, but we don't experience that fullness that really belongs to us. This isn't what he wants for us. He wants more. He wants to take us beyond what is and then into what could be. And really, because of Jesus, he wants to take us into what should be. It's not just possibilities that are on the horizon. It's possibility for today. It's a mindset, a renewed mindset. Some of you may have heard of um, the story of trappers. When trappers go, or go to capture monkeys, like in the jungles, there's a way that they go about doing this. And so what they'll do is they will take either a coconut and they will hollow it out, or they will create like little holes, uh, mounds in the ground with little holes in it, so it's hollow, and they will put fruit inside that coconut, inside that hollowness. And there's just a little hole that has fruit inside. And the monkeys see this, and they go after it, and they reach in, and they grab the fruit. And when they grasp it, the hole is too small for them to take their fist out. So they've got the fruit. They've got what they wanted, what lured them in there, but they can't get it out. So they're stuck there, not because they're chained to it, but because of what they want. Their fist won't fit through. And so even as, as the trap, the people who set the trap are coming to grab them, they're there, they're holding on to this, to this fruit, and they're trapped there. All they need to do is let go and run away, and they're fine. But they have what they want. They don't even realize how they're trapped there, and so they're stuck, and they get caught up in that trap. We all want a fulfilling life. We all want this fullness. This, it sounds great. I mean, there's nothing to not want about that. We want this fullness. We desire to have hope, peace, and joy. And God wants us to have that even more than we want it for ourselves. And he has a plan set up. It's already in place. It's already in action that he's carrying us to that fullness. But too often, we get caught up. We get caught up in our own preferences. See, we like to decide what fullness looks like to us. Here's what fullness looks like to me, God. Here's what I want. Here's my list. I'm going to lay out all my desires. This is how I want to have my life go play out. So we tell him this, and we go about that, 
and ask him, bless my will. Bless my endeavors. Give me success in my work, in my home, rather than accepting the plan that he has and then letting that move us, move with what he desires. What we find is that just like these monkeys get caught in this trap, we think we see what we want and we go after that very thing and it becomes a snare even to our very selves because we think we know what we want. But God has more, more than we expect, more than we even desire. He has more. He wants to give us this new life. He wants to renew us from the inside out. If only we accept his terms and refuse our own inclinations, our own preferences, and surrender to his. And now let the hope and his fullness come rushing in, simply by surrendering and laying down our will. Jumping into the story today, we're taking a look at Jesus' coming through the perspective of Joseph. This is a little bit different because oftentimes we're thinking about the revelation that came to Mary through the angel Gabriel. It's told in uh, Luke chapter 1. And we see her encounter there where the angel comes and says, you're going to have a child. The Holy Spirit is going to put this in, in you. Um, and she praises the Lord, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful. But in Matthew chapter 1, we see the story from Joseph's perspective. And I want to go verse by verse for a couple minutes and take a look at exactly at what we're seeing there. So verse 18, it says that his mother Mary was pledged, Jesus' mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So it says that they were pledged to be married. In another translation, it uses the word betrothed. So they were, it, was, it was more than an engagement. And essentially, essentially it was, for these times, they were as good as married. Now was just the time in between the official ceremony where the provisions are all being made. But it was legally bound. And this is why in later verses, they refer to them as husband and wife, even though they were betrothed. It was legally complete. All that was done was just this, was needed now was the ceremony and the completion of all that. So really, in order to, to put an end to this completed uh, commitment, it was going to require a divorce. They were as good as married at that point. It wasn't like being engaged these days, where you're engaged and then something goes kind of wrong and you just kind of call it off. It's simple like that. No, that's not what this was. They were as good as married here. And then it says this interesting part, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit. No biggie. She was just found to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit. It's funny how it's written here because it's written years after the event, and it's referring to it in the moment as though right as soon as it was found out, they knew that it was the Holy Spirit. No biggie. Just kind of continued to carry on. It happens all the time, right? <laughs> so... What happens is they're in this patrolable period waiting for the actual ceremony to, to take place and to be completed, and they will now consummate the marriage and live together. And in that waiting period is when Joseph realizes that something <laughs> funny is going on here, that something is not normal. She's pregnant. And he's, he's taking the consideration what's going on here, and he doesn't react in anger 
which is a good lesson for all of us. But he, he's considering what's happening, and he knows a couple things. He knows that what has happened here, it has occurred during their betrothal time. This isn't something that happened before they met and then made this commitment. This happened after the commitment was made. The second thing he knows is that it's not his. He knows that for sure. It doesn't belong to him. This is not, they had not gone to that place yet. The ceremony was not done. So something's, something's going on here, and he has to do something about this. Now he has some decisions to make. I don't know how I would have responded being in his shoes or how, how, how you think, how would you have responded to being in Joseph's shoes, realizing that he's engaged to somebody, they're getting married, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they're pregnant, and they tell you that they're carrying God's baby, so it's no big deal. Let's just kind of continue on and carry on. <laughs> would, you, would, we, would you be able to accept that and go on as an ideal relationship? Not exactly relationship goals. <laughs> According to a lot of people, um, this instance, the virgin birth of Jesus, and everything that's tied up in there, that's one of the most controversial events in Jesus's life, second only to his resurrection after his death. You think about it, a woman giving birth without any participation of a man, it's not just improbable, it's impossible. It's absurd to even think about this. According to uh, one study that was taken, 56% of students in theological schools don't even believe in the virgin birth. They're learning about the Bible. They claim to have faith in God. But more than half don't believe in the virgin birth. It's too absurd. It's too ridiculous. Do you believe it? Things we know that are impossible for man are possible with God, and he has greater purpose. And so in verse 19, it goes on to say that because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But why is this, do you think? Why would he want to divorce her quietly? He was betrayed, he was hurt probably confused as to what was even going on and why she would be telling such a bizarre story. And yet, in all of that craziness that had happened, that's, that's going on, he was a man of God. It said that he was faithful to the law. He was a God-fearing and God-honoring man. And so his desire was really to look at this situation from the big picture view and say, what is the wisest and best way to go about this? Also considering her Mary's own feelings and her own life. See, when, when a godly man or woman are hurt, they don't look to hurt back. They're not looking, seeking for revenge or, or to punish the one who hurt them. Joseph, his desire was to protect Mary, to shield her from any shame that she might be facing. And so he wanted to divorce her quietly. See, what's happening here, he's trying to consider all the options. But the truth is, what they're looking at was adultery. She's carrying a child that doesn't belong to him. They're as good as married, 
this is adultery. Had this, had this been put out there publicly, this, this now would require penalty even from the law. In the Old Testament, the penalty for adultery was even stoning. And this wasn't practiced so much in the New Testament, but this was still in the written law, even though it was rarely practiced in the New Testament. He wanted to shield her, not only from penalty, but even just from disgrace. He was just looking to protect her. This is what he wanted to do. But now, all of a sudden, a drastic change happens in the story when he, after he considered all of the options, he wasn't sure what to do. He's going to just try to make the best of it and say, quietly with her, bring this to a close. A couple witnesses who would do this discreetly and keep it very private, the divorce. Now, all of a sudden, God steps in and changes the story. In verse 20, he says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. At this moment, God stepped in and he gave direction. He showed Joseph that there was another option that he hadn't yet considered. He showed Joseph that the story that he was being told wasn't just a whack job idea, but it was true. The Holy Spirit had planted the Son of God in this woman that he was betrothed to. So he wakes up from this dream and obeys, no questions asked. He took her home as his wife. And even though not only would the divorce had put Mary in shame, in disgrace, now taking her as his wife when she had become pregnant, when they weren't yet, they hadn't yet had the ceremony, would now put him in a bad light. Now this is going to affect his reputation because the whole community knows what's going on. They know the ceremony is planned. Probably the whole community is all planned and invited to come to this ceremony to witness it. And they realize now that his, his wife was carrying a child already which shows him as unrighteous, unfaithful to the law, undisciplined, and which put him um, in a very poor light by the community. But he was more concerned about what God said than by what anyone else would say. He dismissed the possibility or the concern of ridicule from anyone else, and he acted simply in obedience and in love. In a moment where doing the right thing meant that he would be, look bad and be put in that negative light, it didn't stop him. He didn't let his decision be based on emotions, but his decision was based in surrender to God. His decision was based in his hope in God's purpose and in his plan, and he released himself into that plan. I don't imagine it's a good feeling to have your fiancé pregnant when you know it wasn't by you. But he was able to take that in stride and then just continue moving on. Can you imagine the discipline, the trust in God, in Mary, that that would require? And he was able to do this. He believed God and he surrendered even his feelings to God and continued to walk in obedience even when it was hard. See, the thing about feelings is one person puts it this way. Feelings are great followers, 
but they're horrible leaders. Feelings are great followers, but they're horrible leaders. As children of God, as believers, we don't live and operate according to feelings or emotion, but we live and operate according to the word of God, the truth of God, the instruction of the Lord. When he speaks, we move. Whether that's difficult for us, whether that puts us in a good light or a negative light, when he speaks, we move. If our hope is in him, then when he's taking us to a place of blessing and favor, we walk there. But if our hope is in him and he's taking us through some challenges and some stretching times, we walk there because our hope is in him. We stay with him in stride wherever he's leading us through every season as it comes and as it goes, we keep in stride with him. And this, though, this is where it gets difficult. This is where the enemy loves to step in and try to take advantage of us. Using these these ideas of self-preservation, self-justification as a means to keep us away from the fullness of God. The enemy steps in and tells us, no, you shouldn't have to go through this. No, you don't deserve this. No, that, doesn't, that person doesn't deserve a second or third or fourth chance. He steps in and tries to lure us away from the fullness that God is bringing us into and holds us back. It's like we've got our fist in that, in that coconut and we're trapped. And it's really only of our own doing because we see that little piece of fruit. We're missing out on this, whole, on this whole array, this whole feast that is waiting for us in that fullness of God that is there. See, when the fullness of God is coming in a way that we didn't anticipate, it's coming through a means that we did not want, we wouldn't prefer, a lot of times we're just not cool with that. It's, not, it's too difficult for us to accept it, and so our vision gets clouded. And so we think, that can't be of God. Because I know that God wants my best. And so we're only looking in the here and now. And if it doesn't feel good here and now, this can't be of God. But the here and now is the enemy's best tool. Because God has greater vision. It's beyond what we can see and know. The enemy lives in the here and now, and that's all he has. But we, we are eternal beings. We don't live just for the here and now, because I'm here now just passing through, and in a moment, be gone. I'm standing with you here and now, and in just an hour or two, we'll all be sitting at our dining room tables or out at a restaurant having lunch together. The here and now is it passes like a vapor in the wind. We don't live for the here and now. We live for the purpose and the glory of God. And when we can live with that mindset, there is the fullness that we're intended to live in even now. He's calling us beyond to live according to this way, according to the better way. But we have to be able to let go of concern for reputation, let go of concern for even comfort. I'm sure it was not a comfortable season for Joseph to take on this uh, Mary as his wife, and everything that was wrapped up in that, even him knowing the truth with people in the community all around seeing what's happening, 
and the light that that put them in, the way that they must have been treated by the people around them, by their neighbors and the people in town. It wasn't easy, and yet his hope was in God. And they were able to endure that, and not just endure that, but live in the fullness and in the blessing and in the favor. Despite what's happening around them, despite the people around them, they lived in the favor of God. When we can let go of hurts and let go of our concerns for, for our own preservation or reputation, now we can operate in God's plan and accelerate it. That's what living with hope in Jesus Christ does. <coughs> now we are participants in the will of God. We're moving with him. We're getting caught up in the move of God. And so rather than trying to oppose it, rather than refusing it, rather than dismissing it and looking the other way, we're just accepting everything that he allows into our lives as his will. And so we allow it to shape us. We allow it to build our capacity so that we can become even more full. And he grows us some more and he builds our capacity so we can become more full. He has more. He has greater things intended yet ahead. And so as we surrender to his plan, we allow it to take place, we move with him, and in every opportunity of surrender, we are made new all over again. It says in one place in the scripture, he takes us from glory to glory. As we learn to surrender to his will instead of demanding our rights, every surrender brings more fullness, renews us from the inside out, and makes us new all over again. See, for the people of God, we don't allow feelings to take the lead. They don't belong in the front seat. They sit in the back. The feelings will follow the truth of God, and our hope is renewed day by day. Matthew 1, goes on to say this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And this is what, it, what the prophet said. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here, Matthew is referring to the prophecy that was given from Isaiah 700 years beforehand. When this prophecy was given, it was given from Isaiah to a ki- the king of Judah. His name was Ahaz. It was given to King Ahaz. So just to get, set the um, scenario a little bit, what happened was that King Ahaz is coming under attack by two enemy kings, and they're coming and trying to take over King Ahaz and his, and his nation. And God sends Isaiah over to King Ahaz, and he says, I want you to go carry a message to him. I want you to go speak to him. And he says this in Isaiah 7, 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, the king. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But King Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah, the prophet, said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you now try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah went to King Ahaz and told him that God was going to protect him from these enemy kings that were threatening his nation, 
And not only was he going to protect him and keep King Ahaz and his nation safe, but he was going to give them a sign to confirm to, to the king that this was a message of God and not just of some random man standing before him. So God says to King Ahaz through Isaiah, he says, ask me for a sign. God tells him, ask me for a sign. And yet King Ahaz says, I will not put the Lord to the test. Sounds so humble, doesn't it? But God told him to ask for a sign. And really for King Ahaz, this was more of a pretense than anything else. Because really what he meant by I will not put the Lord to the test was really I will not trust the Lord. See, what had happened was God gave him this word that he was going to protect him. And even still, we find that King Ahaz went to a neighboring nation and created an ally with a stronger nation to protect him. He didn't put his trust in God. Even when God gave him this opportunity, he said, here I am, you are my chosen king, you are my chosen nation, I'm going to protect you. Even now, he wasn't able to receive it. The fullness was there, and he couldn't accept it. He told him, ask me for a sign. I want to show you myself. I want to reveal myself to you. I want you to experience me in the fullness. I don't want you stressed out. I don't want you tense. I know right now it looks like you're in danger, but I am your God, and you are right where I want you to be. Ask me for a sign. And Ahaz says, no. I won't do it. So often we find ourselves in places a little uncomfortable, a little on edge. Tension begins to build. We become stressed out. And there in that place, God is there and he says, ask me for something. Ask me for help. I am with you and I want to reassure you. I want to affirm you. I want you to be sure of who you are, sure of who, that I am with you and I will carry you through. Ask me. Ask me. Put your hope in me. Don't seek allies. Don't seek to protect yourself because I am your protector. The question now for us is, will we stand there like Ahaz and say, no, I have a better idea. This is how I want it to play out. Or can we stand there as Joseph did when the angel says to him, this is of God. It's okay. Proceed. And we say, yes, Lord. Can we accept what he's doing in our lives can we accept those challenges and those awkward things that come and continue to move, continue to proceed forward in hope and not despair? Or will we stand there as Ahaz did and say, no, I won't do it. I have a better idea. His fullness is there for all of us to tap into. He gives his grace, his fullness, his abundance without regard. It's available to each and every one of us. The question is, will you say yes or will you say no? He wants us to rely upon him, upon his will. Every opportunity that we have to say yes, to accept Jesus' will over our own, is an opportunity to be renewed all over again. It's really this lifestyle of continual renewal. Day after day, new strength, 
renewed mindset, renewed heart attitude, new strength. This is the will of God for you. It belongs to you today, here and now. And you might not be realized, you might not be experiencing it, but I'm telling you, this belongs to you. Will you receive it? I can't, I can't force it upon you. And the Lord doesn't force himself upon anyone. He, all he's saying is, hey, I've got life and I've got fullness and I died to give it to you. Will you accept it? Because it belongs to you now. I gave it to you. But you can choose life the way you want it. You can choose to try to find fullness and fill up your own capacity. Or you can accept what I am trying to offer you and trust that I know what I'm doing. Trust that I'm a master at what I do. And that's give people life. And that's create. Can we trust him? Can we take him at his word? Knowing that when he says, I came so that you would have life and have it to the full, that he knows what he's doing. If he wasn't sure what he was doing, he wouldn't have spent his life doing it. When he literally gave his life and death to give us life and fullness. It's ours, family. It belongs to us. Not just today, but tomorrow and every day after. It's yours. And all I can do is urge you, take it up. Accept it. Receive that fullness that the Lord has died to give you. Allow your mind to be renewed. Allow your expectations to be carried to a higher place. Take your vision and allow it to look further beyond the here and now. Not just looking at the next step with our heads down, but looking at the place where the Lord is taking us to. This place of eternal everlasting fullness and goodness and blessing, that's yours. That's our destination, family. And there's no, there's no question about whether or not we're going to attain it. It's already been achieved. It already belongs to you. So now every day, we're just one day closer. This is where I'm looking. I'm not looking right here. We're going beyond. Because I might stumble today. Tomorrow, I might trip and fall to the ground. I might get scuffed up a little bit. It's going to be difficult from time to time, but my sights are set on the destination. There's hope when our vision is aligned with the destination that God is taking us to. That's where he's taking us. Will you accept it? Will you embrace the fullness? Will you live in that new mindset and watch how he takes your expectations and blows them out of the water every time? He has more. He wants more. Receive it today. Lord, today I thank you so much that you have given us all. You have given us all, Lord. Even as you said that, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And as your heir, man, all that you have, you have given to us. You said it all belongs to us because we are heirs of the living God. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, remove the scales, any cloud over our vision that is stopping us from seeing you for all that you are, for recognizing all that you have given us, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would give us the strength to say yes in every moment. Father, when we enter trivial circumstances, when we enter the difficulties, give us the strength to say yes to you and place our hope in you and not try to search out a way to protect ourselves, a way to get ourselves out of that 
out of those difficulties, but just accept what you're carrying us through. We trust you. We know that there's more beyond. So in your goodness, God, we receive your fullness. Let it wash over us today. Let your goodness, God, and the hope that is found in you, may it wash over us. May we breathe it in, Father, as your presence is not only in us, but around us, among us. We breathe you in and we receive new strength for each moment. God, may we base our decisions, our attitudes, and our, may our heart, God, all be moved by the will and the purpose of God, keeping the end goal in mind. We trust ourselves to you, Lord Jesus, and we say yes in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.